Welcome to the Cowie Baptist Church podcast. To learn more about Cowie, including in our gathering times, visit us online at cowie.church. Enjoy the message. Amen. Love, uh, love the way just that we led into to this time together today and just this thought that we will build our life upon the Word of God in the, in the midst of a crazy and hostile culture that we will stand. And today I, I want to talk to you a little bit about standing in submission. One of the things that, uh, if you're a guest with us, one of the things that uh, you will find about us is that we prefer uh, just to take the Word of God and to preach through books of Scripture. Uh, there are times that I land on a certain passage of Scripture, and I get to that passage, and I think, wow, I probably wouldn't have picked that. Um, today might be uh, one of those days. I want to share a, a couple of things. I, I was thinking as I was thinking about this passage, I, I was thinking about the good old football days. Uh, I see Mark Sutton back there, and, and Mark can remember those days. I went into my closet. I, I saved this just in case, you know, my kids would be interested in it one day or something, and so I thought I'd try it on. There's not a lot that's changed since uh, since those days. Um, I hope I can get it off. <laughs> but uh, you know, when I would wear this jacket, it it would remind folks uh, whose team I was on, and uh, said a few things about me. And I was thinking about those football days and, you know, there, there's this time that we would gather and I, I can remember there's something that would take place in every game and when we watch football, there's something that takes place in every game, but it is one thing that we are not really interested in fans as watching. There's one thing that we put up with, not because we have to, and we know it's important but we're not really that interested in it. It's called the huddle. And we recognize the huddle is important. Just a second. But we don't expect those guys to stay in that huddle. Fact is, the reason that we come to watch the game, the reason that we watch the game on TV, the reason that all that takes place, we really want to know if the play that was called in the huddle, if it was really going to make a difference. And the challenge for us as followers of Christ and as a church is to gather in a place like this and to gather in a huddle week after week. But I'm reminded there's a world that's watching and they, what they're really interested in is not so much what's happening in this moment right here, but they're interested when we leave this place if what's happening in this huddle really makes a difference in our lives. The challenge for us as a church is to, uh, to break the huddle, right, and to go public and influence our neighbors and our community and those that are around us for the glory of Christ. And last week we left with this thought of how do we put the good news on display by our actions and our behavior. We were in First Peter chapter 2. We finished in verse 12. I want to read 
uh, that verse, and then we're going to go into verse 13 through 17. And I want you to remember that we are to live our lives uh, with this remembrance and this reminder that the world is watching. First uh, Peter chapter 2, verse 12 says this, Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles. Now, when Peter wrote this, he's saying, Hey, keep your behavior excellent among those that you're around that don't know Christ, those that are not saved, those that are not followers of Christ. So in the thing that in which they slander you as evildoers, that they may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. So we live our lives in a way that remembers that the world is watching. And Peter wrote these verses in a crazy time. Now, we're in a pretty crazy time. This has been a crazy year. Anybody just say, you know what, 2020 has been crazy? I don't remember a year that was any more crazy than uh, this year, right? We've had the coronavirus. We've had uh, a divisive election. We've had uh, lockdowns. We've had riots. We've had racial tension. We've had all kind of things. And I want to challenge you this morning that in the midst of a world like that, that we are called to live in a way that remembers and to live in a way that recognizes that there's a world that is watching. Now, the passage that we are in today is in the context of last week. We're in the context of what Peter's been writing to, and he, he says, listen, you're going you're gonna to live in this world. And I imagine as the readers that would have read this letter would have said, okay, I hear you live in a way that the world's watching. I see this uh, that, 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 as they observe that they're going to glorify God. And maybe they're saying, hey, how about an example? And maybe you're thinking that. Now, I want to I remind you of something that Clark said in his prayer. I don't know about you, but if you played sports, I always enjoyed playing at home. I always enjoyed playing football at home, right? When, he, when, it, when we were at home, when we were in the pit, there was a different dynamic. We still lost, but it was still, but we had, it was a weird season, right? But, but it was a different dynamic, right? Because the, the crowd uh, w- was for us. And all of a sudden, sometimes we would go to other places, like we'd go to Asheville, like when I was growing up, we never went to Asheville. But when we went to Asheville, it was like I was in another world, right? Those people hated us, right? And, and we would go, like you could go to different places, and it was crazy, right? But when we live in this life, I want to remind you that we're in an away game the whole time. Everything that we're doing is not in our home field. We have a home that is far from here, right? But we are called to live uh, here. We are far from home. We live in a, in a culture and a people that are nothing like us, and we live in this place. Chucky Swindoll, Charles Swindoll, who I call him Chucky like he's my pal. I've never met him, but, but I really like him, right? He's, he's awesome. Like Chucky, he's like my buddy. Oh, I can't believe I did that, right? So here we go. And so good old Chucky, he, he writes this, and I love this quote. He says, you and I live our lives as Christians away from home. Although we are temporary residents of particular nations here on earth, we're actually eternal citizens of another land. This is what we've been talking about. Let me put it plainly. We live in the midst of a pagan culture surrounded by pagan people who embrace a pagan philosophy, a pagan way of life, and a pagan attitude toward believers. But God has planted us here to be the ambassadors of a different kingdom and to lead others to that better city whose architect and builder is God. Now, man, this is, I love that quote, right? Chucky, he did awesome. And so, this is written probably between 62 and 64 A.D. So, we... We're going to kind of see a little bit about the culture that's going on. And I want to tell you, in Peter's time, when this letter was written, it was tough for Christians. It's tough for Christians today. Living for Jesus will cause you 
to stand out. We're going to kind of end with this thought today at the very end. But it will also cause you to have to stand firm. Because it's going to stand out in the way that you live your life. In response to the life of these believers, the, the, the picture that you're seeing, the world is pushing back in this time. And their, their, their hope is that they would take the letter jacket off, right? Their hope is that the things that would identify them as Christians, the radically different way of life, that the cult, the, the the, the proclamation of the gospel and the, the furtherment of, of the kingdom, that they, would, that they would go back, that they would take this off and they'd say, you know what, I don't want anybody to know that I'm on this team and I, I'm just going to stay back in a, in a closet, right? I'm going to have this private faith. Ultimately, w- what they wanted was for them to stay in the huddle. And as long as what's going on in the huddle doesn't make a difference in the world, then they're okay with that. But when it begins to impact the culture around them, all of a sudden... Things change. And so these believers we see are suffering, but they're not suffering because of their sin. They're suffering because they're followers of Jesus. They're suffering because they are devoted to Christ above all other things. And so when the world uh, tries to press them into its mold, right, they're, they're saying, hey, we're not going that direction. We're going to stand firm in who we are in Christ. And these believers, they were slandered for crazy things, right? As they would, uh, because of the Lord's Supper, they were talking about uh, taking and, and, and eating um, the body and drinking the blood of the Lord Jesus, they would call them cannibals. They would call them incest because they would uh, call one another brother and sister. And they said that there was incestual relationships. They said they were insurrection, that they were people that were against Caesar because they would not call Caesar Lord, right? They were in this kind of dynamic. And as they are in the midst of this context, Peter writes and says, you're to live your life in a way that causes those that don't know Jesus to glorify God on the day of visitation because they've observed your life. And right in the middle of that, he gives them their first play. Okay, so you go to the huddle and you get your play, and this is the first play. Peter says, okay, you want to know how you live like that? And I'm sure they're going, I can't wait for him to tell us. And then all of a sudden they read this, and they're like, really? Because that's kind of how I feel when I read this today. Because for one reason, I really don't like authority. Most of us don't. It's in our nature to be rebellious against it. So let's just read verse 13 and 14, 1 Peter chapter number 2. He says, Submit yourself for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as the one in authority or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. So he says, here's your first play, and he gives them this command for submission for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Now, this institution, this word for institution is always used in Scripture. Anytime it's used, it gives this picture of something that's created by God, not something that we made up, not something that we uh, figured out. And, and really, as I said earlier, we're not a big fan of that word submission, right? We're not a big fan of that. It's our nature. And submission includes things like paying taxes. Anybody enjoy that? Right? Traffic laws. Anybody ever find themselves... Having issues with that? Uh, one pastor said the last thing on a Christian to submit uh, to authority is their right foot. I've been there. I've been there. Uh, I remember when I first went on staff here, we had gone down to Florida or somewhere, and we were coming back from a vacation, and my right foot was not submitting, and all of a sudden I saw the blue lights, and I was going fast enough where it was probably going to be trouble, and I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, I just hope they don't fire me and just take my bus license, right? That's how I'm, I'm thinking. This is probably not a good day. And, and when you do that, when you're in those moments and you find yourself uh, not submitting to authority, I, I would look over at Sherry and I'd say, 
you know what, that should have been a 70 mile an hour zone right there, <laughs> you know, anybody ever done that? Like you get in trouble and you're like, I remember, I remember one day, I, I, there's a stop sign right near my house and we live out in the sticks and one morning, I don't know if you ever saw that show, The World's Dumbest Criminals, but anytime I get in trouble, it's like that for me. That, that's where I'm at. And so I'm, I'm pulling out my, into my road. I'm going to be late for work. I'm working at Lowe's at the time, and I'm, I'm, I know I'm going to run late. And so I get to the end of the road, and I look up ahead, and I see this car coming down the hill. And I'm thinking in my mind, I said, I don't want to be late because there's like a two-lane curvy road, kind of like we ride on to get here. There's a two-lane curvy road, and I'm like, if I get behind that car, there's no way I'll make it on time. So it should have been a yield sign anyway, I thought. So I just... I just kind of roll on through, and as soon as I roll on through, the blue lights from the car I pulled out in front of kick on, right? I pulled out in front of my state patrol neighbor. Now, they were very nice to me and all those kind of things in the midst, but, and I would tell my wife, I said, yeah, it should have been a yield sign anyway. It really should have, um, but it doesn't matter what I think it should have been. It, it matters that this was the reality, and, and I did not submit to that authority. Now, this word submit, it is a word uh, that's hippotasso is, is the Greek word for that. And, and it's, it's kind of an interesting word. It means to subordinate or, or to order oneself in, in under another uh, person. And we do that, this picture of being subject to authority, whether willingly or whether it's forcefully imposed. And Adrian Rogers gave a definition, and he was talking about the relationship between a husband and a wife. And I love this definition of authority. He said, submission is one equal voluntarily placing himself under another equal so that God may be glorified. One equal, voluntarily placing himself under another equal so that God may be glorified. Now, this theme of submission, we don't like that word. We don't like authority. I get all that. This theme of submission, though, this theme of willing submission is going to be a thread throughout the rest of this letter, right? We see in verse 13 and 14 that there's this call to submit to human governments in Verse 18, there's this relationship between a master and a slave. We're going to see uh, that as we go ahead, and we could correlate some of that maybe to servants, employees, to uh, our, our bosses. We could look in uh, chapter 3, we see this relationship between wives and husbands. And then, don't worry, when we get there, I promise I'll be harder on the men than, than, than the ladies. But the reality is that we see how, how men are supposed to engage and, and, and to treat their wives in the way that they walk. And so there's this submission that we see wives to husband, then we see young men to their elders in chapter 5. We see those kind of things. And in this theme, Peter's saying every aspect of the Christian life, every aspect of our life as a follower of Jesus Christ is to be conducted with, with order, with honor, with respect. We're going to get down to verse 17. He's going to summarize all this. I don't have any points. They're all his. We're just going to take those. They're going to be our four points uh, today. But everything is supposed to be done in that way. That's how you live in culture. He said, this is your first play. This is how you are uh, to walk. And so here's a working definition for us today. When we think about this word or this thought of submitting to authority, it's this, that we would place oneself under and respond in respectful obedience to the one that is in authority as long as it does not conflict with God's ultimate authority. So here's where it's going to get tense. By the end. So why do we have government? We see this, this institution that has been created by God. So why is it there? In verse 14, we see that it is to punish evildoers. So it's the first thing we can see is it's to restrain evil. So we have government set up for uh, that purpose. And then it, we see in verse 14 as well that it's to the praise of those doing right. So it's to promote right living. Uh, who's a teacher in the room? We got some teachers in here. We got some teachers over there. Now in your classroom... Uh, you both are the authority, right? 
Now, could you imagine if there were no rules and no authority in your classroom, what would class be like? Insane, right? I don't know about you, but when you think about this world, can you imagine this world if there was no government that had been established? Can you imagine if there were no uh, laws and, and there were no people that keep it, right? Law enforcement officers, I thank God for, uh, for all of our law enforcement personnel, those that keep uh, the law. Can you imagine what this world would be like without them? We, would, we wouldn't go outside. We would be afraid to go anywhere, right? Can you imagine all that? We, we, our property, like, we wouldn't feel safe to even come to church. Like, we go to church, we come home, we don't even have a house left, right? We, we would think of that kind of picture because that's the, the, this picture. Of, if there's no restraint, there'd be no public roads, there'd be no um, our transportation, all these things. Can you imagine no law? Did, did y'all watch any of the riots this year where people are just going in and and looting and doing all those kind of things. Can you imagine if there were none of those things that were established? They've been established by God to restrain evil and to promote right living. One commentator said this, and I love their thoughts. He says, law rulers and their authority are an utter necessity to keep people from becoming wild beasts in a jungle of unrestrained selfishness and lawlessness. All of you that are in law enforcement, I see many of you in this room, you could testify to that. There are people crazy in here. There's some, and can you imagine if we didn't have those kind of things in there? But in the midst of this broken world, Peter says in the midst of this broken world, that as followers of Jesus Christ, that we're to be different. We're to be an example to this world in the way that we live. That we're to be to the praise of those that are doing right. We referred just a little bit to... Jeremiah 29, where Jeremiah says, hey, while you're exiled in Babylon, he said, I want you to live for the good of the city, for the welfare of the city. And so here we are in the midst of this broken world that, that we should be known for good. I mean, I, I was hoping to deliver some pies today, but I think it's awesome that after one service, we said, hey, we're, we're, we hope that when we gather in this place that we huddle, and there's a difference after that. And I'm thankful that after our first service, we had a huddle, and people left that huddle, and they said, you know what, I'm going to go bless somebody today. And they took, there, there's been like 100 blessings that have gone out to our community and that are going out even uh, as we speak. I thank God that the fact that we gather in this place that we gather in this huddle, we say we're a people that love God, that we love people, and we put love in action. I thank God that when we gather in this place, that, that we put love in action outside this place, and we live for the welfare of our city. I thank God that when you talk to people in our community about Cowie Baptist, that they would say, you know what, those people are for our city. Those people are for our community. We are to live that way. So we're to live lives that are in honoring submission to those in authority, unless those in authority clearly go against the Word of God. So I want to establish two things before we look further. One is God is our ultimate authority. Okay, so in, we live in a world where there is earthly authorities, but God is our ultimate authority. Number two, God uses imperfect authority in our lives. As part of growth and as part of maturity, as part of us being conformed to the image of Christ. He takes imperfect authority in our life, and, and it uses that to help us learn to relate to authority. So we see institutions that are created by God. We see things like the family, right? It's designed by God. The reason that, that we are a people that stand on a traditional view on, on God's design for family, because God designed it. We didn't design it. He designed it. He designed it for the good and flourishing of our society, and, and we... Uh, we don't have the, the ability or the right to redefine that. We stand 
on those things. We see the family. We see the church. We see the government. All of those things created by God. But what about when, when a dad is a jerk and he isn't good authority? Does that mean that, that, our, that the kids don't do that or we should do away with that authority or that authority no longer should be followed? Right? We live in the midst of brokenness and we live in a place where all the authority that's around is not operating in a godly way. So what about if these kings and authorities, what about if our government, what about if these people are not godly, should we still respect and honor them? Should we still support them? Scripture would say yes, and it gets crazy when you get to that. Now, I'd say the first thing we need to do is pray for us and also for them. I want to read a couple of verses. First Timothy chapter 2, he says this in verse 1. He says, first of all, I urge that entreaties and prayers and petitions and thanksgiving be made on behalf of all men for kings and all who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. Now, we may not like the rules that are around. We may not like speeding tickets. We may not like speed limits. We may not like building inspections. We may not like the rules that are around. But we have a rule. What, what did Paul say about that? We don't have time to read all of Romans 13, but Paul wrote in Romans 13, and he gave us some, some interesting things. He says, every person, it's interesting, every person, he didn't say some of y'all, interesting he said every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities for there is no authority except from God and those which exist are established by God so our role is to honor what God has established even when some of those people don't honor God even if we struggle with their character even if we struggle with who they are we're to pray we're to make petitions on their behalf and there's a purpose in that so that we might live a quiet and tranquil life in all godliness and dignity so that the gospel might go forth. So then let's go back to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 15. He gives a reason to them. He said, this is why uh, that we're to do those things, that we're to submit to those in authority. He says, for such is the will of God, that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. There are people around us that are not opening a Bible but they are opening their eyes and they are seeing if what takes place in the huddle makes a difference in the world. And that's how they're measuring the engagement that they want to have with Christians. They're, they're watching. They're looking. I've heard people say, you, you know, you may be the only Bible that somebody reads. Now, you're probably out there thinking, this was a way different time, Jason. I mean, this is a way different time. Are you sure this would even apply to us? Uh, I, I want to remind you that this is a timeless truth in God's Word. But I want to tell you just a little bit about uh, this time. One of the, the things that, that's neat sometimes is how my classes in, in seminary come alongside where we're at. I'm in a church history class. I've been enjoying navigating that, but I've been learning more and more about uh, just the different things that were going on in culture, and I think it's pretty interesting. In uh, AD 54, Nero was about 17 years old, and uh, in that time, now he, uh, his mother, now you think about your fa family, and somebody's thinking sometimes like at Thanksgiving or Christmas, there's like crazy family situations or things that are there. His mother when he was 17 years old, arranged for Claudius to be poisoned to death. And this boy was proclaimed the emperor of Rome, 17 years old. Now, his reign would last for about 14 years until he committed suicide at the age of 31. Now, for the first part of his government, first part of his rule, he was, was relatively good uh, compared to the rest because he had taken counsel. He took counsel from the head of the Praetorian Guard at that time, from uh, this Stoic philosopher named Seneca. He had counsel that was breathing in. Uh, to him, but the reality is this dude was selfish and he was crazy. He was a, a wreck, and 
and he became paranoid about all these rumors and all these plots uh, that, that were to kill him. And at 55, uh, in, eight, in uh, AD 55, he had his stepbrother Britannicus killed. In uh, 59, he had his mother executed. At 62, his first wife. In AD 62, his first wife was executed. His former counselor was forced to commit suicide. And Peter wrote this letter in a time when this crazy madman, Nero, was ruling. In a time where we read about him dipping Christians in wax and burning them, burning them alive with torches for his party. Times where they would be thrown into arenas and killed by gladiators and eaten by lions. A time where their pastors like Peter and Paul were killed under the persecution under his rule. They would have read this and said, say what? But he says that doing right silences the ignorance of foolish men. Peter goes on in verse 16 and he says, Act as free men, but do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bond slaves of God. He says, Live as free citizens, but at the same time servants of God. And then in verse 17, the four really points that, that he summarizes all this together. He says this, Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the king. So living in this crazy culture that we live in, we are to honor all people, regardless of their beliefs, regardless of how they look at Christianity, regardless of their way of living, regardless of any of those things, as followers of Jesus Christ, we are to honor all people. Number two, we're to love the brotherhood. Some of you serve in the brotherhood here, right? The, the, the men's group here we call the brotherhood, and they go out and do good in the community. You didn't know that they were, like, active back then, right? We love the brotherhood. Everybody loves the brotherhood, right? They're doing good. They're busting wood. They're helping. But this is a picture of all God's people. This is a picture of the family of God. And he said that we love one another. So we, we honor all people, we love the brotherhood, we fear God. And we've been talking a, a little bit back about fearing God, and we said that this, that this reverent fear of God produces radical love in the life of a believer. It produces something that's completely different. And I referred to this passage but didn't read much in it when we were talking about the fear of God. But as I thought about that, uh, Isaiah chapter 6 came uh, just to my mind. And in Isaiah chapter 6, we read these words in verse 1. He says, in the year... Of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with the train of his robe filling the temple. Now, this is a, a time. Now, uh, in, in the year of King Uzziah's death, this is, he has been a, a good king, and we see mistakes at the end of his life, but we see uh, that he was a, overall a good king. And Isaiah is in this place, and he's faced really a personal crisis. And then in the midst of this time where he's saying, you know what, uh, King Uzziah is gone. The Lord gives him a vision. And I, and I want to remind us this morning that we have a sovereign God that no matter, and, and there are Christians, listen, listen, the, the, the United States of America is not all there is. There are Christians that are all over this world. And this same scripture applies to every one of them in the current situation that they are in just as much as it applies to us. And no matter who the ruler is, no matter who's in authority, no matter who is on the earthly thrones, 
uh, Isaiah uh, gets uh, in a vision into the very throne room of heaven. And he says, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne. And I want to remind you that our God is in charge. No matter who is on the throne, no matter what things that we're facing. And we see his response in that. I want to read a couple more verses. It says, Seraphim stood above him, each having six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, and the whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds trembled at the voice of him who called out, while the temple was filling with smoke. And then I said, here's our response in the presence of a holy God. Right? Woe is me. I am a man of unclean lips. I am a sinful man. We see this kind of reverent fear in the presence of our God. And he says that we have reverent fear. We have reverent fear. And out of that reverent fear, he says in, in the last part of that verse, he says that we are to honor the king. Now, this gets even tougher because he says first that we're to submit. And that, that talks about our actions. But then Peter meddles even more and says, I want you to submit with the right heart. He says, I want you to honor the king. Not only right action, but a right attitude. He says, I want you to do the right things with the right heart. And that's heavy. You know, we think about our culture. We think about what we see in Scripture, and, and we see this command. But I'm also reminded that as I think about what Isaiah saw in Isaiah chapter 6, that the authority of the rulers of this world is not absolute. And they don't infringe on the lordship of a sovereign God. We have a God who is in control, and there are times that rulers of this world should be disobeyed if they are commanding us to do something that is in defiance of the sovereign will of God and His will. So just because somebody's in authority doesn't mean that God endorses every ruler that's in authority, every law that's there. It doesn't mean that He approves of some of those laws that stand in violation of His revealed world or His revealed word. But Peter gives us a command here, and there's this general truth in the way that we and how we should respond in most situations when dealing with governing authority. We should be inclined to submit and obey rulers of this world. But here's the tension. We're to stand in submission. Because as believers, we must stand with the revealed will of God even if the authorities of this world may want something different. See, this tension is in our lives. Jesus said we render to Caesar what is Caesar's. But even more, we render to God what is his. And, and there are times that in this world, in a pagan culture, that we are going to face decisions. And I believe the next generation, and I believe the generation that we are in, are going to face decisions where we may have to be in civil disobedience to those who are in Authority. I think of the book of Daniel. I think of those three Hebrew children, right? We uh, saw King Nebuchadnezzar. He erects this statue, and he says, hey, at the sound of the lyre and the flute and all these instruments, y'all know the routine, all those things. He said, whenever you hear all that, everybody's going to bow down. Everybody. Everybody's going to bow down. Those three Hebrew children, they said, mm, no. He says, look, look at Daniel chapter 6, verse 7. Uh, through 10. He says, all the commissioners of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps and the high officials and the governors have consulted together that the king should establish a statue and enforce an injunction. I'm in the wrong thing here. Let's talk about Daniel first. That's where we're at, so we'll talk about Daniel. Well, let's talk about Daniel. So, so Daniel is elevated. He, he, he's going to 
the king, he's, he's elevated into this position, right, where the king is going to give him authority. And all these that are around him, the commissioners of the kingdom, the prefects, the satraps, the high officials, and the governors, they've consulted together that the king should establish a statue and, and should uh, uh, petition, right, enforce an injunction that anyone who makes a petition to any god or man besides you, O king, for 30 days shall be cast into the lion's den. So he says, hey, uh, O king, establish this injunction. So Daniel's here, he's, the ones, they're not wanting to see him in that kind of role, and they know what Daniel's going to do in this kind of thing. So he says, now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it may not be changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which it may not be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document, that is, the injunction. Now, when Daniel knew that the document was signed, he entered his house. Now, in his roof chamber, he had his windows toward Jerusalem, and he continued kneeling on his knees three times a day and praying and giving thanks before God as he had been doing previously. So they tried to put him in the midst of a trap. And Daniel, he says, listen, if, if you're going to pray, uh, if you're going to beseech anything other uh, than King Darius, other than uh, this, this Persian and his Median rule, he says, if you're, if you're doing any of that, he said, they're going to be cast in the lines then. And here's what he did. He says, as his wind is open, notice Daniel didn't stop praying to God. Daniel didn't say, hey, you know what, I, I it would have been real easy for him to say, you know what, I'll just close the, I'll just close the windows because I don't want anybody to see. I'm going to submit uh, to this rule from the king, and I'm going to close my windows, and I'm going to do uh, nothing. It would have been very easy for him. But he opened his windows, and he prayed to his God the way that he always had. Look, there was no riot. There was no disrespect. There was no craziness. He said, you know what, uh, no matter what comes my way, there is only one that I will pray to, and I am not going to bow down to the things of this World. Now, he could have been devoured, but he said, you know what? I'm going to honor God above everything in my life. His authority is above all. Now, Daniel could have been devoured like many Christians later were. Now, let's go back to Daniel chapter 3 and look at these Hebrew children. So, we see these three Hebrew children, and in this passage, we see that King Nebuchadnezzar has said, we're going to erect this big statue, and and at the sound of the lyre, the harp, the flute, all those kind of things. He says, hey, when you hear those kind of things, everybody's going to bow down uh, to me. But these three Hebrew children, they said, you know what? We're not going to bow and we're not going to bend. We're not going to, uh, we only worship one God, the one true God. And in verse 17, I love the statement. This is one of my favorite uh, passages of Scripture. And he says, if it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king, but even if he does not. He said, our God's able to deliver us. We're not going to bow down. He said, well, you, you can just forget that. He said, we're not going to bow down. And, and our God, he is able to deliver us, but even if he does not, even if he does not, let it be known to you, O king. I love that, O king. They were serious right there. He said, let it be known to you, O king, that we're not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. We need a people, and we need to be a people that have an even-if kind of faith that say, you know what? We're going to stand for the things of God. And we know that our God's able to deliver us, but even if he doesn't, we're not going to bow down to the things of this world. In Acts 5.29, we see Peter uh, and the apostles, and they answer, they say, we must obey God rather than men. They tried to silence him. Uh, we, we saw just a healing take place. They, they, they try to silence them and get them to quit proclaiming the good news of Jesus. And, and they say, listen, whether it be right to hearken unto you, uh, uh, to, to man rather than God, you be the judge. But we can't help but see or speak those things that we have seen and heard. Now, this is a tension that is hard to grasp 
when we think about this crazy world that we live in, there are uh, people, what if you're in a country where you're told, hey, you can only have one child, and anyone after that, that it's mandated that you would have an abortion. And, and by the way, God's word is clear. We don't have to wonder uh, about where God stands on those kind of things. From the womb to the tomb, life is sacred. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. Scripture said to Jeremiah that before I formed you right in your mother's womb, I knew you, right? And so we don't have to wonder about those kind of things. And so we would stand in the midst of those things and say, you know what, we're not going to hearken into the things of this world. What about those kind of things? What about those Christians that are in this world that, that are facing either the denial of their faith or death, right? We must stand for our faith. What if they say at one point that, you know what, you can't open the Word of God, and when you get to those passages in the Scripture that talk about things that are contrary to this culture, you're not able to speak those things because those things are deemed as hate speech. Our generation, I believe, will face those kinds of things, and we've got to be a people that will have an even-if faith. There are, there are churches in our country there are states where they've said you know what it's okay for people to ride in the streets it's okay for people to do all those kind of things but the 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 church of God cannot gather there are people that are facing those kind of things and in those moments God's people are going to be left with a decision whether they will stand in his authority or that they will bow down to the things of this world we submit to the authorities of this world, but when the authorities of this world ask us to do something that is against God's clear command, we stand in obedience to our God. We pray for the government. We have a responsibility to submit to human government, but we have a responsibility to submit to the Lord above all. Honor all people. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the king. It feels almost impossible to define clearly every situation that we may face, and there are parts of these things man, that, that mess with my mind, but I'm confident that this generation may face more than any other recent generation, that we live in a world that is more and more hostile to the things of the gospel, to the things of, of God's word, and whenever the government forbids the practice of things that God commands us to do or tells us not to do the things he has commanded us to do, we must stand in submission to the authority of God. I read a story about a little boy, and he said, Mama, you remember that little vase that was so special? And he said, yes, the, the one that's been handed down from generation to generation to generation. He said, yeah, I, I remember that. See, the one our whole family loves so much, the one that's so valuable. He said, yes, I, I remember that. He says, well, this generation has just dropped it. I want you to know our faith in Christ has been handed down from generation to generation. Even when we look in this church, since 1828, people have been meeting and gathering and proclaiming the good news of who Jesus is from generation to generation. And, and we must not fumble in this time. We must come out of the huddle and we must advance the gospel. We must live in a way that magnifies the beauty of who he is in this world. We must recognize that God is our authority. We recognize his authority is key, and we recognize our primary weapons are not of this world. Uh, hang with me. I'm about done, but I'm going to tell you something. Our, our primary weapons, they're not grumbling or complaining, even though I've been convicted. I've been guilty of that throughout some of this journey this week. Our, our primary weapons are not grumbling 
and complaining. It doesn't do any good. Greg Laurie sent something out in a devotion that I saw. It was in June, and he said this. When we see problems in our country, we tend to point the finger of blame at political leaders or media or Hollywood. But when God sees a breakdown in culture, he points his finger at his people. Little preach right there. King Solomon, look at what he was told in Second Chronicles 7. He said, if my people who are called by my name would humble themselves Pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven. And then I will hear from heaven. We'll forgive their sin and heal their land. If we want to see God work in America, it's not going to come from complaining and grumbling. It's not going to come from those kind of things, right? The only offensive weapon that we have in Ephesians 6, we, we, don't, we, we see the, the, the Word of God, right? We see uh, the, the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. We have the proclamation of the Word of God, and we have the ability to fall on our knees and humble ourselves and seek His face and to pray. Those are the weapons of our warfare. The weapons of our warfare are not things that are carnal in this world. 2 Corinthians 10 says that, that even though we walk in the flesh, we don't war according to the flesh for the weapons of our warfare, right, are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Our weapons are prayer and the proclamation of God's Word. We need to be a people that will pray and live God's Word, and we need to be a people who are willing to suffer for it. We need to be a people that are recognizing we're not exempt from the sufferings of this life. There will come a time that we will have to stand firm on His Word. And if we do, we will be persecuted. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 12, uh, Paul said this. He said, indeed, all who desire to live godly in Jesus Christ. He didn't say just a few of you. He said the same thing. He said, every one of you, we're to submit to governing authorities, but we're to see that tension that's in there. But he said, all of you who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus, he said, you're going to be persecuted. The reality is that if we're going to stand and we're going to live in the midst of this world and we're going to do it in a way that honors God, we are going to face persecution. We are going to face difficult times. We are going uh, not to be thought of in, in, a, in a popular way by the culture in many Ways we're to live winsome, we're to live there, but we are to stand boldly. We're to honor authority, but we are honoring God's authority above all. It says in verse 20, he says, But if when you when you do what is right and suffer for it and you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. We're going to get to this eventually. But he says, For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example to follow in his steps. May we be a people that will not bow and will not bend. When it comes to the sovereign authority of our great and mighty God, may we be a people that will live in this world, submitted to the authorities of this world, as long as they are not in violation of God's revealed will. And when that happens, may our stand for the glory of His name be different. And may it be winsome to this world. And may both of those things, when we submit to governing authorities, when they are not in violation of God's will, may it be a winsome declaration to this world of our love and our, our respect and our submission because we love God, because we reverence, fear for Him, we honor the King, we do those things. And when governing authorities are in violation of what God's Word clearly tells us, may we be willing to stand and say, we will not bow to anyone but Jesus. We will not submit to anyone but our God. And we will be obedient to His command above all things in this world. I want to ask the band to come, and we're going we're gonna to have just a time of, of worship. I want to ask you just to bow your head and close your eyes for just a moment as we, as we close uh, just today. And, you know, ultimately, we stand in submission, but it is about surrender to, to a sovereign God, to our, the King of kings and Lord of lords, where 
Where we say, you know what, no matter what comes our way, I love those Hebrew children. They said, you know what, our God is able to deliver us. Our God is able. But even if He's not, I'm going to honor Him. Even if He does not, even if He chooses not to deliver us, I'll honor Him. We know He is able, but even if He doesn't. May we be a people with an even-if faith that says, you know what, I'm walking through sickness and I know God is able. I know God's able to take that sickness away, but I'm not going to walk in fear because I know that I have a sovereign God. And even if He doesn't, I'm still going to praise Him. I'm still going to worship Him. I'm still, you know, the circumstances in my worship is not based on the circumstances of this moment, but based on the hope that I have in Christ. And as we live and as we walk and as we move, may we stand in submission. May we be wise as we walk in this world. But may everything that we do honor the King. The King of kings. And the Lord of lords. Will you stand and worship with me? If you don't know Jesus, you've never trusted Him. He offers salvation and forgiveness for sin. Surrender of our very lives to Him. Scripture says if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised Him from the dead, that we could be saved. It's a matter of taking ourselves and saying, you know what, I'm not on the throne. I submit and surrender. Jesus, You are Lord and only You. If you've never trusted Jesus, we'd love to take God's Word and show you what it looks like to follow Him. But may we all stand in obedience to Him. Lord, we love You. Have Your will and way in every way.